Well, it's good to be back with you guys this weekend, and I know that many of you are joining us online at home, but what a great crowd we have live. Give yourself a hand. But I'll tell you what, I tell you what, as I was sitting back there enjoying the worship, the thing that got my attention was the number of students and young people that are here being a part of this live service. And it just tells me that the future of the church of Jesus Christ is in really, really good hands. It's gonna be, it's gonna be just fine. And so thank you guys for being out. Uh, and, and speaking of young people, I've always said that one of my uh, probably greatest regrets in life is that I didn't serve time in the military. I always wish I had done that. Although I have known many great individuals uh, who have gone down that path. And years ago, uh, when the church was much, much smaller, maybe it was 200 people, we were meeting in the fire trap over on Chapel Hill Road. Uh, a family came in one Sunday and had some children and I met them. And, uh, but the next week I was at the gym and I see the guy, the father, the husband, and I go up and strike up a conversation with him and, and I find out that he is serving in the US Marines. And so he has just moved here to Raleigh and I asked him where he was serving before and he had been located in Washington, D.C., and I said, so what did you do in Washington, D.C.? This is the coolest thing. He was kind of shy about it, and then he said, well, I carried the football for the president. And I'm like, why do you need a football? <laughs> the football is the briefcase that has the nuclear launch codes that always the president has to have access to. How cool would that job be, man, right? <laughs> of course, now he's at Hope. I know he's much more excited about that, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, we began to talk and we just struck up a relationship and we became workout buddies. And uh, I talked a lot about the military. I often asked him, could, you know, could, I, could I get rid of this gig? Could I go and be a chaplain in the military? And we would talk about that. And, and it was just something I always wanted to do. But then one night I'd watched, a, I, love, I love war movies. And it was with the Marines and it was the drill sergeant that's in everybody's face and he's yelling and he's cursing and he's spitting and he's angry. And so the next day we're working out and I was telling him about the movie. I said, are they really that bad? Or is, does Hollywood just make them that bad? Mike, he said, let me tell you something. They're worse than that. In fact, he let me know, he says, boot camp was not designed to make you feel good about yourself. Boot camp was intentionally designed to make a mental case out of you. It was designed to break you down. It was designed to crush you. So as a Marine, they could then build you back into what they needed you to be. In other words, boot camp was designed to reorient a civilian from their normal course of life to a military kind of life. And he says all the built-in ingredients to make that happen were there. They were all available. And I thought about that in the same way God has designed for all of us who are his children, all of us who have responded to the gospel, God has designed for us a boot camp. But unlike the military, it's not something that you can complete in eight to 10 or maybe 12 weeks. It takes place periodically throughout our lives. In other words, no matter how long we have been Christians, there will be times when God is gonna pull us aside and God is going to engage us in a boot camp experience. And in that experience, I'll just warn you, he disorients us, he takes away our comforts, he strips away the things that we enjoy, and in the spiritual sense, he will crush us. But he's doing it so that he can make us into the person that he desires us to be, not the person that we desire to be. It's a vital part of the Christian life. Kind of reminds me of a story that took place with a guy named Oliver Cromwell. If you study history, you may have recognized his name. Uh, he was a general in England uh, during the 1600s. Then he led parliament. And during his leadership, the British government began to run low on silver. They had a coin shortage too. And I would love someone to explain why we have a coin shortage all of a sudden during COVID. But that's another message, another story, another time. 
Even in the 1600s, they were having coin shortages, right? So Cromwell, he put together a task force to address the crisis. And after a period of time, one of the representatives reported back to Cromwell. This is what he said, I love this. We have searched the entire empire in vain seeking to find silver. To our dismay, we found none anywhere except in the cathedrals where the statues of the saints are made of choice silver. This was Cromwell's response. Good, let's melt down the saints and put them back into circulation. And we smile at that. But this is what's interesting. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've responded to the gospel, God considers you. You may not think this, especially if you grew up in a Catholic church, they have saints and saints had to go through certain things to become saints. If you are a Christian, God sees you as a saint. In fact, 15 times in the New Testament, Christians are referred to as either saints or saintly. So think about this. We may be saints. But God did not design us as saints to sit around cathedrals and to sit around churches collecting dust. God created us to change the world. But before, see, before he can put us into circulation so that we can actually get out there and make a difference, there are times that we have to be melted down. We have to go through that boot camp experience. Now we're in this series about Elijah and you're gonna see Elijah was no exception. He had to go through his own boot camp experience. And if you were here last weekend, you know that his story began with the pronouncement of a drought. Just for review, 1 Kings 17, verse one. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. And we talked about that was kind of a redneck area. And so this wasn't royalty when you talk about Elijah. But he said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And so understand, our story begins with Elijah standing before King Ahab saying, Ahab, you just need to know there's going to be a drought. There's not gonna be any dew, there's not gonna be any rain. But the word that really jumps out to me in that verse is the word years. I mean, anybody can put up with a drought for a specific period of time. We've even experienced that in North Carolina, but we're talking years. Elijah says, no rain, no dew for years. In fact, not, not until I say so. Now that is a pretty bold pronouncement. And then it says in verse two, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. Now think about this. Elijah, all of a sudden, like a meteor in the sky, shows up out of nowhere and tells evil King Ahab there's gonna be a drought. There's not gonna be any rain, any dew, until I say so. And I'm imagining right now he's feeling pretty good about himself. And then God says, okay, thank you, Elijah. Now this is what I need you to do. I need you to hide. And I'm sure Elijah was thinking, well, God, <laughs> hang on just a second. Uh, I'm a prophet. You may have noticed that. I don't hide. In fact, you know what I do, God? I make bold pronouncements. I go to kings, I talk smack to them. And, I, and God's like, well, Elijah, I appreciate that, but right now I want you to go hide. In other words, I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna set you aside, and you're gonna spend some time by yourself. You're gonna spend some time alone. Now, let me just say this. I think that one of the hardest commands for us to obey in the Christian life is the command to be alone. All of a sudden, God snatches us out of our world of activity, out of our world of meaning, out of our world of purpose, our place of significance. And God says, listen, I need you to be alone for a while. I'm gonna put you in time out. And I'm gonna keep you there until you hear otherwise. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a very similar situation to Elijah. You find yourself by a brook. 
You find yourself all alone. That's where Elijah is. And in our story, understand there are two reasons why God tells Elijah to go and hide. First of all, it's to protect Elijah from Ahab. But second, there was a lesson that Elijah needed to learn. And to be honest with you, it's no different in our lives. Whenever God comes along and says to us, listen, I am gonna set you aside for a while. You're gonna spend some time alone. I'm telling you, he wants to protect us from something and he wants to teach us something. So this is where we find Elijah. And God even tells him how he's going to survive in verse four of 1 Kings 17. You will drink from the brook and I have directed, this is so cool, I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, some of you, that would drive you nuts that food came out of a bird's mouth. I mean, you want a sanitized package. I mean, no, no, the ravens are gonna deliver. By the way, can you just picture this? Elijah has just made this big pronouncement to Ahab. No rain, no dew until I say so. And then Elijah reaches down and puts on his little backpack, just his little rolled up sleeping bag. And Ahab's like, what are you doing? And Elijah's like, going camping. Where? I don't know, someplace called the Kareth Ravine. Where is that? Not sure. God's going to show me. How long are you going to be gone? No idea. Well, that backpack doesn't look very big. It doesn't look like it holds a whole lot. How are you going to survive? Well, this is what's interesting. God says, I'm going to drink from the brook, and every day these ravens are going to show up and bring me a sub from Jersey Mike's, right? <laughs> and you know Ahab is thinking, Elijah, yeah, you're a nutcase. Elijah's thinking, yeah, I've been called worse. I mean, it wasn't easy being a prophet, right? But it says in verse five, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. By the way, it's one thing to go camping by a brook for a few days, know that you can go home anytime you want. If it gets too cold, you can just go home. If it gets too hot, you can just go home. If, if rains or snows, you can just go home. It's another thing to live for months, possibly even years, we're not told, in solitude by a brook. But God tells Elijah to go there, and that's what he does. And I point that out because I doubt that many of us would hear that assignment and simply respond, okay. God, you want me to go to timeout? You wanna set me aside? You want me to be alone for a while? Okay. I mean, I think if most of us are honest in 2020, uh, most of us enjoy our Christianity because of its perks, right? I mean, good gracious, all of our sins are forgiven. How cool is that? We have peace with God. We get to experience joy. When we die, we get to go to heaven. Plus, hey, living in 2020 and being a Christian, you're, you don't have to worship in the catacombs, hiding for your life. Man, you get to come to great places like this, right? Great facilities. We don't have to come in and sing Gregorian chants. You know? What have you done with the incense pot? <laughs> Left it in the aisle because it's too dang hot. You know, we don't have to do any of that. We have great worship every week. And not only that, we have hot coffee. We have free childcare. It's absolutely incredible, right? But lose a few perks. Or, excuse me, let the government tell us that we shouldn't be having church. And all of a sudden, it's not as inviting. And it's not quite as attractive. And all of a sudden, you know what? Watching church on TV is a lot easier, certainly a lot more convenient. Don't have to brush my teeth. Don't have to comb my hair. Can just worship in my PJs, right? See, we would be thinking things a little bit. But Elijah's like, you want me by the brook? Okay, I'll go to the brook. And then it says in verse 16, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. 
and he drank from the brook. So God says, I'm going to provide for you, Elijah. It unfolds just as God predicted. And then it says in verse seven, here's the problem. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So I understand everything's going great for Elijah until one morning he notices that the brook isn't running with the same force that had been running with the day before. And then over the next few days, uh, steadily it slows down and one day Elijah noticed that the brook that was running so freely has now just maybe become a trickle. And he probably had a clay plot, a clay pot, and he tried to collect some of the water, and he probably conserved some of the water. And my guess, he got to the point where he began to ration some of the water. And then one day, reality hit. He just woke up, and there was no water at all. And the brook had dried up. And my guess is uh, that situation probably sounds a little familiar to some of you listening this weekend. Maybe a few months ago before COVID, you knew the joy of a a full bank account, vibrant business, great family, good health. But over the last six months, it seems as if the brook dried up. Or maybe you're a college student and you were enjoying the joys of an education on a campus, in a house, in an apartment. You were right on track to be what you wanted to be to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. And then COVID changed everything and it seems like the brook has dried up. Or maybe a few years ago, your marriage looked like the model marriage, but your spouse decided that he or she was no longer happy in the marriage, and they left you, and now the brook is dried up, and there's no water, there's no change in sight. But if you find yourself in any kind of situation like that this weekend, this is what I want you to hear. When the brook dries up in our life, you need to understand that God is still alive and well. And when the brook dries up in your life, you need to understand that God still knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly what he's doing. Now, I'll be honest with you. I do not always believe that when my brook dries up. My vision gets blurred. Uh, often I can't see God, I can't find him in my circumstances. Sometimes it seems that God, like Elvis, has left the building. You ever felt like that? You ever talk to God and you get nothing back? Seems like the heavens are brass, see? And just like you, I go through those situations and I, and I, and I discover that my, my brook is dried up. We've all been there, maybe, maybe you're there right now. So what are some lessons that we can learn from Elijah? I have three things that I wanna leave with you this weekend. Here's the first one. The God who gives the water has the right to take the water. The God who gives blessings and pours out blessings in our life, he has every right to remove the blessings. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we just naturally assume as Christians that once God gives us the water, he should never take it from us, you know? Once God gives us a mate, he should never take that mate from us. Once God gives us a child, he should never take that child from us. Once God gives us a, a business, a thriving business, he should never take that business from us. Once God gives us financial security, he doesn't have the right to take it from us. But then when the brook dries up, it's easy for us to think, wow, well, I don't know what happened, but God has just forgotten me. But I want you to understand something. That is not the case. Even when the brook dries up, you are still the object of his affection. You are still the apple of his eye. Nothing has changed, see. The brook is dried up. 
He's just taking you through boot camp. Let me show you a really cool verse. It's Isaiah uh, 49, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me, and this is how God responds. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget? And all of us sitting here say, that would never happen. A mother would never forget her child. A few years ago when we were in the Central African Republic and we were, as a church, we were drilling wells and starting churches uh, in those villages. We were out in a pygmy village one day and there was a mom sitting out in front of the little grass hut where she lived and she was holding just this limp, lifeless child. And you could tell the child was still alive, but just barely still alive. And so I was with Jim Hawking and we pulled up. Of course, Jim grew up there, so he was speaking Songo and they were having this conversation. I could tell he was trying to persuade her to do something. I had no idea what the conversation really was. But then we got back in the Jeep and I said, Jim, what in the world's going on? And he said, I'm trying to convince her to allow us to take her and the child to a medical clinic. There was one about an hour away. And I said, well, why won't she let us take the child? And he says, well, she has 12. And it's just one less mouth she'll have to feed. We can't even comprehend that. See, that's just so foreign to us. But God says, even though possibly that could happen, look what the next phrase says. I will not forget you. Now, this is the cool part. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. All right, this is the interactive part, the participation. Get your palms out, look at them. Look at them, come on, do it at home, do it at home. Put your beard down. Uh, okay, here we go. Look at your palms, okay? Some of them are washed, sanitized. I did that a couple of weeks one time. It's not, eh, it's not for me. But anyway, um, calluses, you know, smooth. But see, you know your palms really well. You looked at them your entire life. Now look at them again. Pretend that's God's palm. God says, you're right there. Right there. Some of us are probably a little dirty. Some of us may be working awfully hard. Some of us very much alone. But understand, you're right in the palms of his hand. And this is what God is saying. Your life is continually before me. Do you know what that means? That means there's never a time when God, involving in your life, is gonna say, where in the world did he go? There's never gonna be a time where God's gonna say, how did she get over there? That's not gonna happen. Regardless of your circumstances, God hasn't changed. God says, hey, listen, you're, you're right there. You're right there. Here's the second lesson. The first one was, the God who gives the water has the right to take the water. Lesson number two, God's journey for your life includes God's provisions. What was the message he gave to Elijah? You go to the brook, I'm gonna provide for you. Now, let me just say, I think for most of us, our problem in this area when it comes to trusting God is we haven't really learned to trust God one day at a time. And Elijah did that. Let me show you, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Now, this is what's interesting. Those of us who've been in church, we've heard that verse 100 times, but see, we haven't heard it enough if we still aren't willing to live that way. But let me give you a paraphrase. This is what Jesus was saying. You must live today, today. Or let me put it another way. You cannot live tomorrow, today. 
And I'm going to be honest with you, I am horrible with this principle. I'll give you an example. I just went on vacation. I spent the first three days just wound, you know, waiting for the office to call, waiting for an email, waiting for a text. Finally, about Thursday, I felt chilled. By Friday, somebody that was sitting out by the pool with me said, you're back in re-entry mode, are you? We weren't even going back till Monday because they saw me looking at my calendar. What have I got to look forward to? What have I got to deal with when I get home? I got to get ready to preach again. I read a book this week that says for a mega church pastor, preaching is like giving birth on Sunday and finding out on Monday you're pregnant again. That's just, <laughs> just the way it is. It just, just keeps right on coming, right? And we worry about the future. William Elliott wrote this. The reason why so many of us are so stressed out, tense, distracted, and anxious is because we have never mastered the art of living one day at a time. Physically, we do live a day at a time. We can't help ourselves. But mentally, we live in all three tenses at once, and that will not work. By the way, did you notice in the story, and you're going to see this all the way through, God never, never told Elijah the next step until he took the first step. God says, Elijah, here's the deal. I need you to go to Ahab and tell him there's gonna be a drought. Well, what, what are we gonna do after that? Don't worry about it, just go tell him. So he goes and delivers the message. And God says, good, thank you. Now, I want you to go out to the Kareth Ravine, to the brook Kareth, and I want you to stay there. I'm gonna take care of you. What I'm gonna do, because there's a drought, eventually the brook's gonna dry up, don't worry about it, just go. And he did. You're gonna find out that when the brook dried up, he says, okay. I'm gonna send you down to a widow's house. She lives in Zarephath. What am I gonna do after that? Don't worry about it. Just go to Zarephath. But my point is simply this. It was a day at a time. It was a step. It was a step at a time. So God's journey for your life includes God's provision. Here's the last lesson. A dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure, not God's disappointment. And I know we struggle with that. But here's the thing, you miss that, you miss it all. I mean, think about this. At the height of his life, Abraham, who God said, I'm gonna bring a great nation through you. In fact, I'm gonna bring the Messiah who is gonna save and bring joy to all the families of the world. I'm gonna bring the Messiah through your descendants at the height of Abraham's life. God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham was smart enough to know, no Isaac, no descendants. And I'm telling you, from his world, his brook drew, dried up. Or how about Paul, right in the middle of his first missionary journey? I'm sure he is riding that emotional high. He's stoned at Lystra and left for dead. His brook dried up. Joseph was falsely accused, misjudged thrown into prison, his brook dried up. Did that mean that God was displeased with him? Nope. It actually meant that God was terribly pleased with him. But it also meant that there was something that Joseph needed to learn in that prison experience that God was going to take him to. I'm telling you, more often than not, we don't like this, but more often than not, that is the way that God moves and that is the way that God works in our life. But for us to be able to learn that lesson, do you know what it requires? And this is tough. 
It requires us to give up the things that we feel like we're entitled to. The kind of salary we think we deserve, the kind of treatment we think we deserve, the kind of comfort we think we deserve. And once we learn to release those things, then we're ready for the renovation. Then we're ready for the transformation that God wants to pull off in our lives. And in that renovation project, that boot camp experience, God comes in and he, he crushes our pride and he removes our fear and he changes our habits until renewed, till we're renewed, until, until we're transformed. I was probably about 30 uh, going through a tough time. And that, I would say that's the first time in my life I felt like the brook really dried up. I mean, God was definitely taking me through a boot camp experience. And I had met through a ministerium, and that's ministerium, is, you don't want to ever go to one of those things, but it's where a bunch of pastors get together and lie about how good they're doing. But uh, I met an elderly gentleman years ahead of me. I, he was probably 45 years older than me at the time. And he began to put some time and invest in me. And he gave me a poem. And I, I've never forgotten this poem. I've had it since I was 30. It's, it's, it's anonymous, but this is what it says. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man, the all the world would be amazed. Watch his methods and watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Listen, understand, it's the tough times. It's the alone times by the brook. It's the boot camp experiences where God molds us and shapes us into not what we want to be, but where he wants us to be. And I'm telling you, that's where you're always going to find happiness. Father, thank you that we are engraved on the palm of your hand. You never lose sight of us. When we do something bad, your reaction is, I had no idea they were capable of that. You created us <laughs> from dust. We're dust bunnies. And you're not surprised by us at all. And yet, you love us too much to leave us sometimes in those states. And so you send us out to the brook. You take us to boot camp. And you crush us.
and you hammer us and you hurt us, but it's the way you transformed us. Father, I pray for those who are listening this weekend that feel like maybe in some way that you've forgotten all about them, that you don't care. Remind them that they're right in the palms of your hands. You're the, they're the object of your affection, the apple of your eye. And may we be patient as you work in our lives. And may we be reminded of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who begins a good work in us, he's going to be faithful to complete it. We give you the glory for what you're going to do in our lives right now. And we know it's all been made possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen. Good to see you guys this week. Thank you.